Hi, this is Andrew Kreisberg, and you're listening to Supergirl Radio. Supergirl gets a full season pickup. Casting searches for 13-year-old Kal-El. And we discuss red-faced. This is Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. My name is Rebecca Johnson, and in this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about the season one episode of the show titled Red Faced. But before we get into our discussion, we have... The News. Supergirl has been picked up for a full season. <laughs> CBS has ordered seven more episodes of the show, which means we'll have a total of 20 episodes for season one. And I am so excited about that. Yeah, that's awesome. And, um, oh, and also, uh, I don't know if you noticed on the Supergirl Facebook page, uh, the cast did a cute little thank you video to the fans. They, you know, in, in response to the news that they had been picked up for a full season, uh, Kyler Lee, Melissa Benoist, and David Harewood um, got together just to say thank you uh, because they say that without the fans support uh they wouldn't have made that decision so check their facebook page out if you want to look at that yeah that was really cool because i think they're probably just as excited about it as we are because they get to do all that fun stuff (laughs) melissa benoist gets to you know do some more flying so i'm sure they're all really excited about that and we're all really excited to see them do it so that's awesome news well in casting news Supergirl is seeking a 13-year-old actor with, quote, future leading man looks, unquote, to play the potentially recurring role of Kal-El. He will first appear in this season's 13th episode in a string of flashbacks that will establish the cherished bond between him and Kara. And I'm a little confused about this because Kal-El, when we see him in the series, he is already much older than Kara when she lands on Earth, so... Not really sure how this is gonna work, but I'm excited yeah. to see where it goes. I know. I'm. I'm. I'm thinking. Perhaps. I mean. I don't. I have no. I mean. Kryptonians. Time travel. It could be anything. <laughs> um. But yeah. I. I don't understand how. Uh. Kara, because she's already like 14 when she, um, arrives on Earth. Right. Like she's an early teenager herself. Yes. Um. Or 12. Like 12, 13, maybe. Yeah. But um. You know. So she's that age and we see that that Superman is clearly older unless there's some kind of time travel or some kind of uh she gets to view Kal-El through some of the uh technology in her new fortress of solitude where she gets to like kind of have watched him grow up or something I have no idea um but we'll find out a I'm always up for time travel if they want to use time travel I'm all for it um, but B, I think it would be really cool to see what it would be like if maybe Kara and Kal-El got to spend time together. You know, if they can't use 
a big Kal-El in the show as as a character who can interact with Kara. This would be a fun way to get to see that bond play out if they can make it work somehow. Well, of course, we're, we're assuming, too, that um, bond means a bond in person. Um, mm. Just because you have flashbacks of 13-year-old Kal-El showing his connection to Kara doesn't mean that they have to have spent time together at that time either. Um, perhaps he's been told about her. Perhaps as he's been growing up, you know, he wonders about her. You know, it, the, the bond could be related to kind of the the more general family bond. Because um, I'm sure that, you know, when he came down and, and as he's been raised uh, – He's been told about his family and, and what happened and why he was sent and all of that. And I'm sure at some point somebody said, hey, by the way, you had a cousin coming to get you. We don't know what happened to her. <laughs> um, she's somewhere. Uh, oh, hey, police car. Um, <laughs> some kind of siren. Um, hopefully Supergirl is on the case. Um, but uh, yeah, the, you know, so we don't know that this storyline even involves car. But, it, you know, we will find out. And um <laughs> it's it's pretty awesome that they're asking for future leading man looks too. Um, we want we want a, a cutie that you know is going to be a heartbreaker when he gets older. <laughs> exactly, and I hadn't even thought about the idea that maybe young Kalel and Kara wouldn't interact. I think that's a really good point because a bond could be like instant messaging chats. <laughs> that's how that's how you could show their bond with them exactly. not having to actually interact. So I think that's a, another good speculation to come into play there. Yeah. I mean, you know, definitely we'd love to hear from you listeners out there. Let us know what you think uh, in the comments on this episode. Uh, you know, how do you think that might play out? But right now we should get into our discussion of the season one episode of Supergirl called Red Faced, uh, which was on this week. Um, And here is the official description from CBS. Personal and professional stress get the better of Kara when she goes too far during a training exercise against Red Tornado, a military cyborg commissioned by Lucy Lane's father, General Sam Lane. Um. There's a lot going on this week, <laughs> a lot. There's so many personal character issues happening and mostly centered around the theme of anger. Uh, everybody was kind of angry about something. Uh, I just imagine everybody just kind of going, um, So, I mean, let's talk about Kara first because obviously she had the most going on. And uh, uh, what did you think about how her anger issues were handled? I actually really enjoyed seeing the insight into Kara's character and how, yeah, she's dealing with anger specifically, but I also, when I was kind of watching it a second time through, I started to wonder if she was also kind of going through the stages of grief because we see that towards the end of the episode when she has that, you know, the great slow motion emotional music building sequence where she sees flashbacks of Krypton and saying goodbye to her parents and everything. She, in that moment, I felt like was mourning the loss of her home world and her family. Mm. And so then I started to think, well, okay, if she's angry, is she also in denial? Is she bargaining? Is she going through depression? Is there an acceptance in the episode? And I kind of, maybe this is a little stretch, but I kind of think she was going through the five stages of grief. Hmm. Because with denial, she was kind of, and I'm not any kind of shrink or psychologist or um, (laughs) anyone who deals with these issues. But I kind of, what I took away from it was with like in 
for example, her denial, I kind of felt like she was assuming that her real problem was with James and Lucy, but actually it was about Krypton and not being normal because she doesn't fit in with this world. And, like, of course, her anger issues were pretty evident. She had the road rage incident. She had that outburst with Kat. She kind of did uh, angry scowls at Lucy. She had fights with Red Tornado. I kind of think her bargaining was, and this is maybe a little stretching, but uh, she sort of talks to James about wanting to find that perfect game night partner. You know, if only I could find that perfect partner, I would feel normal and I would feel like I fit in. Mm. And she, I kind of think that leads into her depression that she doesn't feel like she can have a normal life. And then towards the end of the episode, she sort of accepts that she can use the anger and and channel it to do good things. So I don't know, maybe that's a stretch in my brain, but the anger, no. the anger part of that made me think, is she going through all of these stages and is it really more her dealing with her grief than it is dealing with her anger? Yeah, no, and actually that's a really cool way to look at it. And uh, don't make me go all Cat Grant on, Grant on you and be like, you know, you apologize too much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do, actually. Like, it is a problem. <laughs> you, have a, you have a thought, you stick to it because it's actually a really interesting analysis of that. Um, I think that's really cool. And I do see that there is a lot of grief there and she – you know, goes through, if not all of them, then certainly a lot of those stages that you're talking about. I think that's totally not off base at all. It's funny because a lot of the things that were her, quote, letting her anger get the best of her, I thought were completely justified. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, and, you know, and she's saving those kids and he comes out and tries to take a swing at her. Like, what's she supposed to do? Like, not defend herself? And right. then in that moment, is she also supposed to gauge, like, okay, my strength and his strength? Like, he's... Coming out of his car, she broke his nose because he was doing something stupid. <laughs> and then, and then you know, he, he basically blames her for him not, not being able to drive. And then he gets so mad that he takes a swing at her and then makes her out to be the villain in that scenario. And then everybody agrees with him. And it's like, no, wait, she had a right to be angry in that moment. And she had a right to put him down a peg or two or ten. And like, <laughs> if all he's getting out of that is a broken nose and a, you know, a messed up hand or whatever, being that much of an idiot with Supergirl, he's gotten off easy. Yeah. Like, like you're, you're lucky that's all that happened to you, dude. Now run along and, and try to maybe figure out how to handle your anger issues. <laughs> yeah, because he had um, some. He definitely did. I mean, what person in their right mind, like somebody cuts them off or something and you start like sideswiping somebody's car like both well, of those guys needed to uh needed to take it down a notch i like your thought that Kara or supergirl in this case had every reason to be angry about that situation because at the beginning of the episode things were peaceful for her yeah. she was flying through the skies clearing chilling. her head she was totally chilling and then all of a sudden these two morons are having some kind of road rage situation for god knows who over what and she, that interrupts her time in the clouds i would be angry about that and then when she comes down and she stops them okay so she messed up the cars a little bit that is on supergirl 
but they probably would have messed up their cars anyway. And they probably, I think they already did a little bit while they were. Yeah, they're sideswiping each other. They're already doing damage. (laughs) So so even if she didn't total their cars, I think they probably would have eventually. And I was also thinking about the hand thing because I would have thought that when he tried to punch her, if he actually successfully punched her and connected with her, he would probably break his hand anyway. Like, if he he punched her in the face, he would break his hand. Mm -hmm. So even if she kind of twisted it, I think he would have done it anyway. But, I mean, there's all these scenarios that ran through my head. Like, well, what if she moved quickly away and he didn't connect with her? Well, if she did that, what if he ended up accidentally hurting one of the kids? So it's one of those things where, like, no matter what, I think she was kind of a loser in this situation. So she actually, I think, did a pretty good job to contain it. Yeah. Yeah, no, and uh, I thought it was interesting overall how the episode handles her anger because uh, it it examined how that double standard kind of exists for women generally, right? Like, we are kind of raised to, to smile and accommodate other people. And if we're mad, we just have to, like, you know, keep it in and and, and handle it, quote, appropriately. Um, whereas guys kind of fly off the handle off the to- all the time, and that's fine somehow, because that's what guys do. But, like, with Kara, I, I thought it was interesting that the lesson that we learn is not only that that happens, but that... Anger itself is not a bad thing. Like, there's appropriate times to be angry. There's, you know, everybody feels anger. The question is what you do with it. And for Kara, she learns how to channel it into what she's doing. And she learns how to, as, you know, Kat Grant puts it, find the anger behind the anger. Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to not misplace your anger. Like, if you're going to be angry, be angry, but be angry at the right thing. Right. Um, and I think that's an important lesson for, for anybody is, uh, you know, uh, anger isn't wrong. It's, what, it's how you handle it and what you do with it that matters. Yeah, and I liked Kat's point about everybody gets angry. Everybody. You, know, mm-hmm. you can probably ask one of the the nicest people you know who you think never gets angry, and they get angry. There's Mm -hmm. something that makes them angry. You know, I'm a pretty peaceful, kind of chill person, but I get Mm -hmm. angry. I get angry. I'll confess. I get angry sometimes. Of course. So I liked that she approached that subject with Kara and let her know that, yeah, anger is okay. It is something that everybody goes through, and eventually we all have to deal with it. But if you um, react to it in the right way, it can be a very healthy thing. So I liked that Kara was actually going through this anger situation with Kat because Kat was going through her own anger issues. Yeah, let's talk about Kat because seeing her in uh, in contrast to her mother, who is played by the awesome Joan Juliet Buck, who was completely rad in this episode, um, rad in that she was completely hateful. Yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, let's talk about that. What did you think of, of Kat and how they handled her issues? Well, one of the first things that she says in the episode is, all these televisions, how can you possibly get any work done with so much visual noise assaulting you? And I was like, right away, I did not like her because yeah. she was insulting Cat Grant's monitors. I was not I was not having it. She was it's true. Already, you are in love with those monitors. She was already on my crap list for that. Um but she was appropriately awful. Um because we we've, we've heard about Cat's mother all throughout the episodes and you kind of got this picture that she was 
someone that really brought Kat down. And I was glad that they didn't hold back from that in this episode. Like you saw why Kat has such a hard time with her mother because she was, she was terrible to her. She rubbed it in that she was, you know, hanging out with Toni Morrison and um, Margaret Atwood and how Kat wouldn't fit in with them. Even though I totally think when, after I looked up Margaret Atwood, I was like, Kat would totally get along with that chick. Oh my God. Yeah. She's assuming that, uh, first of all, that Kat's not smart. Like she, she's making these assumptions about Kat that, you know, she wouldn't be able to hang with literary people, which I think is just such a load of crap. But then on top of that, I'm sure that Toni Morrison and Margaret Atwood both would be fans of Kat. Like I'm sure, like if, if she said, oh, my daughter can't make it, I'm sure they'd be like, oh my God, we would have loved to meet her. Like she's the head of Catco. She's such an inspiring woman. We watch her shows all the time. We read her magazine. Like, and it's like, but she would never want to admit that, that, Cat would ever have anything to offer. Yeah, that Cat was successful. I mean, Margaret Atwood founded her own company. Cat, yeah. Cat has done that. So yeah. I, I thought it was, I thought it was interesting that every time Cat's successes were kind of brought up, her mother found a way to hit them down, like the Supergirl article and the dinner out, which Cat had saved her night to go and hang out with her mom. And even I thought it was really awful when. Uh, Kat goes in to kind of kiss her mother on the cheek and her mother says, don't get carried away. We've already seen each other once today. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, like she's she's distant. She's not willing to show affection. And she, uh, and I, I did kind of love that she called her Kitty. Um, yeah. But even that I think is something of a put down. Yeah, no, it's diminutive. And, and it's interesting that she calls her Kitty and uh, Kat calls herself Kat. Like, yeah, I've yeah. grown up. Like, I'm an adult feline. Like, I'm not the little kitten that you think I am. And I don't think that's an accident. I think, you know, Kat is very, very much uh, calls herself that on purpose in response to that. And, yeah, it's it's just uh, this example of somebody who thinks that there's only one way to be successful. Like, if you don't do these things, you've ruined your life and that's it. Like, there's, you know, she's not looking at – all the many different ways a person can be successful and she has no interest in Kat as an individual. She wants her if, – if you're not like a clone of me, you're nothing. Oh, yeah. um, and it's it's really – but again with, with Kat, what I thought was really cool is that um, again we see somebody who's taken that anger and channeled it into something positive. We see it in how she run – how she's built and, and currently runs a media empire and we see – it in how she raises her son. She she channels that anger into her parenting and is like, no, I'm not going to be like that. I'm yeah. going to be the exact opposite. I'm going to love my kid. I'm going to let him be who he is as an individual. Um, whatever makes him happy, I'm going to encourage. And, uh, and I'm not going to shut him down. And I think with anything like that, you go through a negative experience, you can go one of two ways. You can use that to like learn and grow and be better, or you can let it hold you back. And I think for both Kat and Kara – They've chosen to use that as fuel for their fire, so to speak, and like and to move forward with their lives instead of being stuck in the past. Yeah, and I think she's not only learned from the situation and the relationship with her mother, I think she's also learned, I thought it was cool that in some regards she also learned from Perry White's example, even though mm. I'm not sure that the Perry White I know of would actually throw a chair through a window I've never seen or heard of Perry White do that. 
Um, yeah, that seems more like a J. Jonah Jameson move. Yeah. Like, I totally imagine J. Jonah Jameson throwing a chair, but uh, maybe not Perry White so much. Yeah, Perry would probably yell at you a lot or fuss at you or be a disciplinarian with you, but I don't think he would physically throw a chair. That seemed like it was going a little far, but I'll go with it in this story. Um, so say Perry White did that. I think it was really interesting that Kat took away from that that she didn't want to do that. Because I, I think right. in one of the previous episodes, she had said something to Kara about, you know, don't make me throw this stapler at one at my assistant. You know, I don't want to have to do that. Yeah. And so I think she has taken it upon herself to set a better example for her staff, for her company, and be, um, and not just to be better in the public eye, but just to be a better leader, I think, because that kind of thing, if you saw your boss like physically throwing things and acting like a child, I think you would want to rise above that and be a, a better leader. And I think that it's cool that not only has Kat learned that, but she's passing that lesson on to Kara that, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a guy, girl, men, women thing, but it's also, this is how you lead. Yeah. And, and, and even with the example, you know, obviously there is like, um, the general double standard, uh, as to how men and women can and should deal with anger, but it's also like, you know, for both men and women, like there's, there's a healthy way to handle anger and there's a not healthy way. Like Perry White throwing that chair was not the healthy way. Mm -hmm. It's more accepted by society. Like you expect, uh, you know, a guy to blow his top, whether, you know, whereas like if a woman blows her top, she's called the B word and it's kind of, you know, (laughs) frowned upon. But that aside, you know, while society may accept it, it's not cool that we accept that. Just like it's not cool to bottle up your feelings, it's also not cool to use those feelings to hurt people or to, you know, to to throw a chair to, to, you know, make the environment around you a worse place. So again, the key is finding that balance and it doesn't have to be this or that. It, It should be something in the middle where you kind of examine what's really making you upset and then try to use that for a better purpose. Something else that I thought was really interesting as we go into um, possibly talking about James a little bit, because he was also dealing with some anger stuff. And Mm -hmm. I loved uh, the scene between him and Kara um, (laughs) where they're, you know, kind of having a a punch it out kind of therapy session where, you know, he's punching a a punching bag and she's punching a car (laughs) Um, and they're both kind of letting out their stuff. But in the beginning, you know, Kara says something like, you know, girls are taught to hold it in and smile. And then he brings up, you know, well, it's not like black men are encouraged to be angry in public either. Yeah. Um, And I thought that was a really interesting point. And so far we haven't heard that much about uh, race on this show because, Mm -hmm. you know, he's just James Olsen. Like that's, you know, which I think is great. I, yeah. I didn't want it to be like a, 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 a after school special where we talk about, you know, black people, you know, and all their hardships. Like, that's not the point. Yeah. But I thought this was brought up really appropriately and in an interesting moment um, to examine it from that perspective also. Like, yeah, you know, a black man or even like an angry black woman. Like, there are so many stereotypes associated with that. Um And so to have James acknowledge that was really cool. Yeah, well, it shows that we all have 
issues in how we deal with our anger. And we all have stereotypes that sometimes go along with that. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was a, a great way to bring that up too. Cause when he said that, I was like, yeah, I guess James would have an issue with that. And what I thought was great about that scene is they, they did find a way to get that anger out. And mm-hmm. personally, I, I've taken boxing classes and sometimes it is really nice to just go and punch something. Totally. And so I think that was a very productive way to go about that. And I did laugh that she was punching a car. Um, but I, I really enjoyed that scene because also I think Kara, you know, she, her one of her big things that she's dealing with in this episode is she wants to be normal. And she's trying to figure out what that means and how to go about that. And I remember we talked about the interview with, uh, I want to say it was Ali Adler or Berlanti, where they talked about Cara's glasses and how mm-hmm. when she takes them off, that is an, an emotional step for her that she's taking to remove that that's covering up who she really is. And she right. takes those glasses off and that's a big deal for her. And in that scene, she does that. She removes the glasses because <laughs> she doesn't want to break them while she's bunching stuff. So that's a big deal for her to do that in front of James and and do that with James. So I thought it was cool because I think in a little bit of a way, she was able to be normal with him. So I was really proud of Kara and of James in this episode for being able to find a way to deal with that. And I think, too, something that I just thought of as as you you know, you're talking about that moment is, um, with her wanting to be quote normal, like what does that mean? And that, that word means different things to different people. Um, so when, when Kara, Kara, (laughs) uh, talks about being normal, like she has a certain picture in her head, a certain idea of what normal means on earth. But even on earth, people have different ideas of normal, you know? So like no, no one person's life looks like another person's life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I hope that, that somewhere along the line in the show, uh, Kara becomes more comfortable with the idea that her normal and somebody else's normal aren't going to look alike and that's okay. Like there is a way to have a normal that works for you that doesn't look like anybody else's life and it doesn't have to. And that's not a bad thing. It's not something to be sad about. It's something to just acknowledge and be like, okay, uh, that person has, you know, they're married, they have 2.5 kids, they have a dog, house with a white picket fence, the whole business. My life looks different and that's okay. But I still have relationships that I care about. I still have the job I want. I still have the life I want. It just is not the same life that somebody else has. Yeah, and I think she may need to find a new normal uh, Mm -hmm. because for her, for Kara, the way she defines normal is her life on Krypton. And she says her normal life ended the second her parents put her on that ship and sent her to Earth. So I I really felt for her in this episode because I, I know I've talked a lot about on this podcast that one of the things that separates Supergirl from Superman to me is that she remembers Krypton and mm-hmm. she experienced life there and she had family and friends. And up until this episode, we didn't we we only heard just a little bit of that from Kara in in that she might miss it. She might miss that life. And yeah. so I really liked in this episode that we really got to understand how much Kara feels about that and how much she misses Krypton and the idea that she would want to be back there as much as she probably loves her life in National City she loves having her her sister um 
there are still things that she misses about Krypton and life there. So I think now for Kara, maybe she needs to find, you know, her future. You know, maybe instead yeah. of dwelling in her past, maybe she has to find that new normal for herself and, and define what she wants out of her life on Earth. Well, and what's sad about that, too, is that so far in this, uh, in the universe of the show, um, she can't go back there. Because, mm-hmm. like, in the comics, you know, there's, like, new Krypton. There's, right. like, all sorts of ways that she's gotten back in touch with her parents, that she's she's gotten to have a little taste of Krypton, and she's had, like, the freedom to go back and forth. It's not the Krypton she grew up on, but it's it's close, and it's it allows her to kind of dip back into her culture whenever she wants. Um, but here, she doesn't seem to have that, and I don't know if that's something they're going to incorporate into the show later on. And she does have her own little fortress of solitude that we haven't seen her go back to. No. Um, and, and she's got the hologram Allura in yeah. there. But even then that's only just a, a facade of her mother. It's not yeah. the real thing. So even if she can ask <laughs> the hologram version of Allura questions about Krypton. She still can't. She can't hug her she mother. Can't go there. Yeah. She can't hug her. She can't. Yeah. She can't, she she'll never be there again. Right. Um. They always say that you can't go home again, and for her, that's very very that, literal. That is literal. Yes. <laughs> but um. But yeah. No. It's it's it, it's an interesting thing because like she. Uh, compared to the other, you know, the source material, this car really is cut off completely. And that's really sad, but it's also, uh, it's an opportunity, like you said, to to have a new normal and to kind of, you get to build a life from scratch, you get to kind of build the life you want. So it's like you go from a place of having like completely no choices to having all the choices. It's <laughs> like, you ha- like you're in this new place, like, you know, no family except for, you know, your cousin, um, you know, you've got some friends, but like you can really do anything you want here with your life. What do you want to do? And so I'm, I'm hoping Kara, you know, eventually, you know, starts to see that as an opportunity and, and kind of goes the Cat Grant route of designing her life for herself the way she wants it. Um, and I think she will. I think, you know, we're still at the beginning of her journey. So, but yeah, with, with James, because uh, I do want to get into James and the most awkward family dinner ever. <laughs> Because um, obviously, you know, Lucy's dad, General Sam Lane, uh, is in town. And, uh, you know, so Lucy wants them to, you know, come out with her for dinner, knowing that James and he don't get along very well. Um, what did you think of that, uh, that scene and, and the relationship between James and General Lane? I thought it was really interesting that James had one idea of why General Lane didn't like him and General Lane had his his actual reason for not liking him. James mm. James thought it was just because he hangs out with aliens and likes the Kryptonians, but General Lane saw it as this this guy is not good enough for my daughter. Yeah. And I was like, "Really? Are you serious? Like he's good looking, he's successful, you know, he's he's got his act together, he's a nice guy. Like what what are your expectations here, General Lane?" Um but I thought that was really interesting that he in in the end, even as much as General Lane did not like aliens, devised and built this red tornado to fight the aliens Mm -hmm. he has all these problems with the kryptonians but really at the heart of it all it was not the kryptonians that james was hanging out with that was the problem for that relationship it was actually because james in his eyes was not good enough and i think james 
actually handled all of that really well. He seemed to really take it in stride. And he, even though we see him angry and punching the punching bag at the end, I thought he did a really good job of not letting that affect him in really serious ways. It's interesting that, um, you know, here we've been talking about, um, or we, you know, I pretty much talked about the the whole, like, men-women thing. But as far as, like, being an example of balance and how to handle anger appropriately in a balanced way, James is the example of that in this episode. Because he, he does get angry. He, he acknowledges his anger, but he doesn't let it affect his relationship with Lucy. He doesn't let it affect his relationship with Kara. Um, and he bites his tongue during that dinner, which I would have had such a hard time doing because, mm-hmm. I mean, especially, I mean, well, there might be some insecurity there too because he uh, he hit James's soft spot in that James has always been a little bit insecure about his career because is it only because I took this picture of Superman? Like, am I only having the success because I'm Superman's friend? Oh, yeah, um, and General Lang calls him a glorified paparazzo. I mean, yeah. it went straight to the heart of it. Yeah, street, and and not only that, but he said something like, "You surround yourself with special people, but you're not special." Yes, and I was like, "Oof!" Like that, I felt punched in the gut on his behalf. Like that was cold, yes. and it's like he went to the Catherine Grant School of Parenting, <laughs> um, but like that was really like a low blow, and mm-hmm. and you see James register that, and I think a part of him might believe that. Uh, which is, you know, something that James has to work through. Like he, that's that's already an insecurity he had, and and General Lane's there just rubbing the salt in the wound. Mm-hmm. But I also thought it was uh, interesting. Like at the end, Lucy resigns her commission, which apparently isn't as easy as all that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, it's funny when I wrote my recap at the Mary Sue, a lot of people in the comments were like, "You can't just." say you're done. Like, that's not how it works. (laughs) Um, But besides that, you know, she decides to stay in National City with James, and James says, you're my hero. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought it was cool that uh, I think James needs somebody to kind of validate how special he is. Uh, And I think Lucy sees that in him. Like, she sees all of the, the positive stuff about him that maybe he doesn't see in himself. So I, I I definitely love how all of that worked out. And I love that even in spite of that, James totally kept his cool as best he could and managed his anger appropriately. Yeah, that's a great point about Lucy, that she sees what's special about James, even though her father can't. And I was really shocked about Lucy when she resigned and didn't want to work for her father again, because like we've read in some of the comics, like Mm -hmm. she really wants to prove herself to her father, uh, even getting into the military and doing all these special tasks for him. And I thought it was, I I really kind of... (laughs) thought it was funny that when they're at the dinner, she orders the same drink as her father. And mm. and so you see that at the beginning, she wants to be on his level. She wants his approval. And, that it, and that's why it was so shocking to me at the end of the episode. She was like, you know what? Screw my dad. You know, I, I like James. We're pretty happy right now. If this is going to be a problem in the relationship and my dad has an issue with this, all right. Well, yeah. we'll, we'll just... We'll just remove what is awful about this. So well, I so I, I thought it was uh, very striking that Lucy would take that step. 
Definitely. Well, I think in this universe, um, she has a better relationship with Lois because um, she mentioned her sister once when she was first introduced and it didn't seem like she was like there was any bad her, blood there. Yeah, living, in, yeah, her living in her shadow, all that stuff. Yeah. So I think a lot of that in the comics fueled her desire to make her father happy oh, so absolutely. that she could be the favorite child. Um, but it, it is interesting. You mentioned the drink and I'm thinking about the training exercises when she shows up in uniform mm-hmm. uh, and she's like waving that paper around like you have no authority <laughs> here we totally can do whatever we want and she's totally imitating her dad and it's like watching her throw her like military weight around was uh, kind of hilarious because you could see that like, she's trying way too hard yeah. like she because you especially since we've seen her in a couple of episodes being herself like that didn't look like her you know like it, it looked like she was putting a costume on in this attempt to please her dad. And I'm glad that she's finally taken it off. And she's like, no, that's not me. The, per- the person I want to be is here with James, not doing this military thing. Yeah, and I, it kind of upsets me a little bit that she's so cool because I kind of I kind of want her to be nasty like I was so excited when she does show up in the military uniform and uh, the uniform and Kara like she's like sure I'll do it you know I'll, I'll prove to her I'm okay because Lucy said you know I wasn't really all that impressed with Supergirl mm-hmm. and so I, I don't know part of me maybe it's the soap opera fan in me I don't know well but, I mean I think she did get a little bit catty because when, yeah. when they're having game night and she's totally not only did she say she wasn't impressed but she says to James oh and she totally wasn't your type which made me feel so much better yeah and I was like what like I was ready to slap her face so part part of me enjoys that a little bit because it's kind of fun but I do think it's an interesting part of what they're doing with Lucy is that they're not going the way I think they're gonna they're going with her so I'm I'm kind of curious now as to what is going to be happening with Lucy because if she's not out to live up to her father's standards what is her path now? So I'm very curious right. to see what they do with her. That is very, very interesting. Because, yeah, it's, it's a, what, what is her motivation now? And I'm sure a part of it is going to be trying to find herself in this new, you know, just this new normal that she's created. Mm-hmm. So now what is she without the military? What is she without pleasing her dad? She might not know yet. And that's going to be, you know, that might be hard on her relationship with, with James as she's figuring that out. That might be, you know, affect her relationship with Kara. You know, who knows? Let's let's talk a little bit about Red Tornado because I had some issues with the whole Red Tornado thing. Um, but yeah, what did what did you think about the introduction of that and how Red Tornado was handled? I loved the reveal of him, which we saw in the promos for this episode where his face kind of looks up. I was like, oh, that's a good reveal because sometimes <laughs> sometimes you don't get that with things like. A, for for example, Spielberg's Lincoln, I was really disappointed with that movie because they didn't have like a cool like presidential shot of Lincoln when he first appears. So I was like, come on, Spielberg, you can do better than that. <laughs> so I always like it when there's a, a really cool looking reveal of an important character. So well done, people working on Supergirl. But I also <laughs> really liked the way his special effects were and how the way like his hands would spin and there's even that cool shot when he creates the tornado in the city and his waist sort of spins around so mm-hmm. i thought it was i visually i really enjoyed him because i think they captured the whole ability that he has to create those tornadoes um 
very well. I, I thought they, I thought that was yeah, dead that looks really really cool. Yeah. So, um, so I know people had issues with like the picture or whatever, but I thought on screen, I think I thought it looked really good, and I liked the story of how like he is a bad guy initially because he's being manipulated by sort of a bad guy. Um, they talk about Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, and Doctor Frankenstein, and mm-hmm. I, I sort of hope that maybe see i don't even know if we'll see red tornado again because supergirl kind of destroyed him yeah but if he does survive and we see him come back somehow i would like to see him come back as his own creature that he's he's not just controlled by someone else that he has his own thoughts and his own feelings and his ability to control himself Totally. Um, I mean, that's kind of what what bugged me about the episode was was the the resolution of Red Tornado because um, I agree the effects were great. Um, I had a little bit of trouble still with the costume. It looked very like foamy, like you cut you cut big pieces of foam out and attach them to somebody. Well, he he was created by the military, and maybe they're, they're not, not artsy. They're not artsy. They're just <laughs> whatever whatever makes this work. Will use. There's- there's no arts and crafts battalion. <laughs> Apparently why no. not. Uh, no, but um, but so I I, I love the effects. I loved that he um was brought in for like training exercises, and that Supergirl kind of took out a little bit of her anger on him. Um, uh, again, I thought you know it was horrible that you know he or she saved General Lane twice, and he's still kind of like you let him get away. It's like. I let him get away because a tornado was about to kill people. Like, yeah. that's, I, I didn't let him get away. I chose to let him go for the greater good. That's a big difference. It wasn't like me screwing up. It was. Yeah, he was like, way too hard on her. Yeah, but with, with the tornado thing, like, once we see that he's being controlled by T.O. Morrow, which I'm sorry, that's, that's just dumb. Like, I'm, I'm just going to put that out there as being hugely dumb. Just call him Dr. Morrow. Dr. Morrow. It's, oh, God. Anyway, so <laughs> so once we see that that Morrow is uh, is controlling him, and I thought it was a big deal that Alex ended up having to kill him because mm-hmm. um, that I don't think we've seen. Well, no, we saw her kill uh, Helgramite, right? Um, but killing a a human is is has got to be harder for her, and she tried really hard not to, but she had to, and she did. And but once that connection was severed, and you know, Red Tornado kind of shuts off. Supergirl thinks it's done. And then he comes back and Alex says, he's sentient now. I thought, I, I kind of had trouble with Supergirl, like, going in for the destruction. Because um, normally, up until now, we've seen her tack kind of be, let me talk and try to reason with this thing. Yeah. Um, and she doesn't really know, like, now that, that Red Tornado is sentient on his own, she doesn't know that he's going to do the same stuff he did when whatever. Like, she didn't really give him that chance. She was just like, oh, well, he's standing up again. Now I have to kill him with my laser eyes. And while I loved that scene, I loved her face as she's just letting all all the anger that she feels about losing Krypton come out in that moment. And I thought that was beautifully shot and so well acted. I kind of questioned the the writing choice of having her destroy Red Tornado right out of the gate. Because I feel like that's kind of out of character for her. Um, to at least not try to to see what sentient means for Red Tornado, I yeah. think was my big problem. Like, I feel I feel like she would have checked in to be like, "Oh, you're sentient now. Hi, I'm Supergirl. Right? Who are you?" Like before she went right to laser, uh, to laser eyes, to heat vision. Um, no, they're sort of lasers. <laughs> they're sort of lasers. Um, but yeah, so that was my my kind of 
gripe with the episode was that I thought it was going really well up until that moment. And I feel like that was like a very, like, basically that means Supergirl has killed someone. Like if we don't see Red Tornado again, she kind of just, it kind of just disintegrated. Like, like we don't know if he went into stealth mode or not. Um, Ooh, I didn't even think about that. There's, there's a possibility that like he went right into stealth mode and so he might still be around. Who knows? But, um, it looked like he was pretty destroyed. Um, and even if he's not destroyed, the fact is, even if, if Supergirl she, thinks that she destroyed she, him. She intended on doing as much damage as possible. As possible, right. And and I don't know that that's a decision she would have made, even on her worst day. So, I don't know. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. Like, I loved all the fight sequences. I thought they were awesome. Although I have a problem with, like, sometimes when they show her super punching people, like, it it looks like a regular punch, but that's a, that's a minor gripe. But I liked the, the cross-cutting... Uh, between yes. Supergirl mm-hmm. and Red Tornado and Alex fighting um, Morrow. Morrow. I thought that was, you know, great directing, great editing. All of that was awesome. Like, I loved Morrow kicking Alex, and then it cuts to Supergirl being kicked into a truck. Like, I, I, I eat that kind of stuff up for breakfast. Huh. But I did have a problem with the fact that, like, Red Tornado does become sentient because I was thinking, ooh, this is when he's not going to be a bad guy anymore. Maybe he will come to his senses and this will set up, you know, a future uh, ally for Supergirl down the road if she wants to team up with somebody. Because, you know, like on the Flash and Arrow, they do that kind of stuff all the time where they'll meet somebody new and maybe they'll be like, I'll come back and hang out with you later. Like, that's the kind of stuff they do over there. But with Supergirl, she could have her own allies. She could have she could start to make her own super friends and 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 actually be super friends. She's got James and Wynn, but you know, it would be kind of fun to see her teaming up with people or characters like that down the road. And so when he becomes sentient and then goes away, I was I was kind of let down. I, I'm like you. I, I thought that was unfortunate and and ah, I really hope he goes into stealth mode. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Maybe that could be the case. I will will cling to that unless told otherwise. (laughs) So now just switching gears a little bit, um, I do want to have some discussion about uh, Alex and Maxwell Lord. Um, There seems to be some chemistry brewing between those two. Um, But in addition to that, uh, there's some interesting stuff with Alex having gone to Maxwell to help find Red Tornado and he refuses. And just all of that, uh, that situation. What did you think about their kind of teaming up on on this particular case? I'm still so worried about Alex. I don't like her getting uh, mixed up with Maxwell Lord. He tells her he's not the bad guy, but he totally is. Um, so I'm, I'm a little worried for her. And one thing that I think is really interesting about Maxwell Lord so far, because we know in the comics, he was a character who was known for mind control. And in the episode where Supergirl has to stop the train and Knox was this guy who kind of seemed like he was sort of almost doing it against his will with the bomb and everything. Yeah. Or or at least in in my view, it kind of felt like that. And in this episode, Alex says um, she divulges information about how her father dies. And she's like, I don't, I don't know why I just told you that. And I'm pretty sure they said at one point that Maxwell Lord would not have any super abilities, but it just, every time something like this happens, I feel like he has some sort of mind control power that he's using on people. And so mm. I'm, I kind of don't believe them when they say that. 
but uh, maybe it's just me reading into <laughs> it. But it seems like he's doing something to people. He and does have that look. Like whenever he looks at Alex, it's always this like smug look that's like that you feel like there's something else going on, even if we even when he's saying something completely innocent. Yeah, yeah. So he seems really shady in addition to the fact that he and Supergirl threw down um, in his office. He seems even shadier. So I'm really worried for her getting mixed up with him. Um, but I'm really excited that she's that Alex is starting to make some progress with this investigation on what happened to Jeremiah. Um, mm. we, we know that he supposedly died a year after agreeing to work uh, with the DEO and that Hank Henshaw is all up in that business. Um, so I'm curious. And redacting information. Which seems super sketchy. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying not to make him out to be a bad guy. And maybe he's not. A lot of people think he's Martian Manhunter. Maybe he there's a good reason for him to keep this information from Alex. But... When you when I think of redacted information, I think about the government trying to keep secrets from the public, <laughs> you know, like that is sketchy business. So I am really suspicious of whatever Hank Henshaw is doing. Um, maybe he's doing it to protect Alex for some reason. Um, but that also seems like something nefarious. So I don't know what to think about Hank Henshaw at this point. No, I uh, I agree. Um, I, there, that's the thing. We, we know so little about him that it's very easy to kind of extrapolate and make him really evil or extrapolate and figure, oh, there's a good reason. It could be this. It could be that. Like, so so really, we still know nothing. Um, <laughs> and I think it's interesting that Wynn, when he tells Alex what he found hacking into the DEO, that he even says, you know, all we know now is that Hank is the last person to have seen your dad alive. Yeah. Like, that's all we know. Like, we like she, Alex is ready to jump to some conclusions, and she's getting all upset. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The only thing that the facts show is that he's the last person to see your dad. We don't know what happened, and there's still more to uncover, um, which I thought was really interesting for him. Uh, and he seems to be kind of like that voice of reason on Team Supergirl that, like <laughs> – which is weird because you wouldn't expect him to be the voice of reason. Yeah, he was the only one who was like, um, you guys, this is treason, what we're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I now kind of with all the information that he gave Alex, I'm now hoping we get to see a flashback to when Jeremiah's <laughs> out in South America hanging out with Hank Henshaw. So I hope we get information on more of what went down with them. I think it's cool that... They've got a lot of balls in the air now. I think um, just talking more generally about the episode that uh, even though I'm I'm still wanting more Allura, she just kind of, not Allura, uh, Astra, Mm -hmm. um, because she just kind of disappeared. Like, like we just haven't really referenced her again for a while. Um, So I do miss that. But other than that, I think they're doing a really great job of, of kind of giving us stories that can go on for a while that can fuel the rest of the season that can fuel beyond the season um you know i feel like the search for what happened to jeremiah is is gonna be fodder for a while i think that uh obviously kara's development as a hero is gonna be you know ever changing and ever evolving so there's a lot of good character stuff happening in this episode that i really really liked and we, I feel like this episode, we got to get to know everybody a little bit better and kind of see what's under all of their, what's under all of the stuff that we expect from these characters, you know, like we, we see what motivates them, what drives them. And it's interesting that 
really the the way to get to know somebody really well is to see what pushes their buttons and makes them angry. Yeah. That's usually when you get to the heart of who a character is or who a person is that you know. It's like, okay, what what button can I push to uh, to make them blow their top? And that's usually at the core of who they are. That's such a good point. And I liked that we got to see that with so many of the characters in this episode. I think what one of the strengths of this show is, is that they give opportunities for each character to have a moment, to have mm-hmm. a story, to have character development, like you were saying, um, in, in terms of the anger issues. So I, I liked getting to see what they're made of and to see how they can get past those anger issues in their lives. And I, I just really, I, I did think that the character stuff in this episode was the strongest point. And it was really cool to see Red Tornado. That was really fun just to see the first live action attempt at that. And I thought it was a good one. And, um, you know, the little things in the show uh, make me smile. Like how Wynn was drinking a super soda and Cat was wearing cat eye frames. And so stuff like, or, or even also like Alex betting on her sister um, when the other guy was going to bet on Red Tornado. Mm-hmm. So, so little things like that are also an additional enjoyment for me uh, just to see what they can work in in addition to the story. Well, that's it for this week's discussion of Red Faced. Let's uh, delve into what our listeners had to say about this episode. At X underscore Red underscore five said, not bad, but Kat's weekly feminism pep talks are finally starting to grate on my nerves a tad. Plus, why does Kara have anger management problems for just one week? Probably should have built up over several episodes. Um, And I actually, just a quick note, I... This week was the first week that I was like, yeah, maybe they could tone it down on the feminism pep talks. Um, yeah. So I kind of agree with that. Um, at S O Z E, Zo Geisty. Oh, so Zeitgeisty. So Zeitgeisty. There it is. Um, cool name that I couldn't <laughs> pronounce, but I totally see it now. Thank you, Teresa. Um, said, I loved that it had a message without being preachy, which is the total opposite of the last comment. Uh, sometimes as an adult, shows like this can get too silly, but they make it approachable and enjoyable for a broad audience. Mm-hmm. At Lawton the Lion said, a huge improvement in special effects. Loved that they talked about a real double standard, and it is actually a real thing that happens in life. Um, at Call Me Topes, said Melissa was fire. And Mm -hmm. I actually uh, would agree with that because she was so good. I mean, every episode she's good, but this episode was really great when she and James were boxing. And she, at the very end of that scene, she realizes why she's so angry. And just her, her conclusion to that, you could just, it was so palpable to me, like her anger and her, her, why she was so mad. So I agree. She was great in this episode. Um, At Yvonne Evissers said, another fantastic episode. There's just something so right seeing women kick ass. (laughs) (laughs) At Brie Quinn 23 said, it was more than brilliant. The fight scene between Alex and Moro and Supergirl and Red Tornado was the best part. And then the ending and a, a shocked face emoticon oh Um, yeah we didn't really talk about that yeah so Kara starts to bleed at the end of the episode why and how I don't know why but that's going to be an interesting turn of events and I thought again with the performance from Melissa Benoist like her looking at that she was like 
genuinely just like, I don't even know how this could happen. Like, that's <laughs> never happened to me before. Yeah. This whole bleeding thing is new to me. What's going on? So, yeah, it's just I'm very much looking forward to seeing where that goes. It makes me wonder if they could. I mean, I assume they could bleed on Krypton. So surely she's bled before, just not on Earth. So it's a, a difference for her. Um, at Ash underscore girl 19 said Supergirl kills it again with another awesome episode. And at US underscore TV underscore addict said Supergirl worked out how to cancel the tornado by herself. The Flash would have asked his team. Hashtag gr- <laughs> girl power. Um, yes. that's, a, that's a good point. Barry probably would have asked all the scientists how to, to, how to deal with that. But she, she did seem to figure that out on her own. Yeah. Yeah, she just kind of dived into it. I was like, good job. I'm like, you've, maybe you've been talking to Barry Allen at some point <laughs> with that uh, potential crossover that may or may not happen ever. Um, well, John McMullen wrote in uh, with a theory about Hank Henshaw. And he writes, quote, My current thought on Hank Henshaw is that he's a cyborg of some kind, but probably trustworthy. I suspect his eyes glow red when he's using his cyborg powers, which are some kind of machine uplink, possibly just to the DEO computers or possibly to any computers. His entry into the bomb indicates some level of super strength. Um, and yeah, like, like we've said, you know, we don't want to assume he's on the wrong side of, of, of things here. Um, cause he did stand up for Kara in this episode. He, he is coming around on, on her and on all of this. So, um, I'd like to think that he's, he's a good guy. And maybe that's what they want you to think. <laughs> Just saying. Stop ruining my <laughs> faith in him <laughs> well at bailey's podcast our, our, our good friend michael bailey shared another thought about hank henshaw by tweeting quote what if given how the cyborg superman was presented in the new 52 jeremiah danvers becomes the cyborg superman unquote <laughs> and that's a cool thought too because i think i mean that's a strong possibility um and michael is referring to if you're not familiar with the new 52 we talked about it in our Alora and Zorel episode about how Zorel in the new 52 is actually the cyborg Superman instead of Hank Henshaw. So part of me doesn't want that to happen because I really want Hank Henshaw to be the cyborg Superman because the Death of Superman story was one of the first big comics I ever read and I loved him as a villain so I kind of want them to be faithful to that version of cyborg Superman. But then there's also that thought that if Jeremiah is cyborg Superman, Dean Cain might be another version of Superman. So <laughs> that also is kind of cool to me. So I guess it's a win-win for them because I'll be happy either way. The more we're talking about this, the more I'm like, I don't think he's dead. Like <laughs> I, th- I feel like I feel like you know Jeremiah might be somewhere out there, and and nobody's talking about it. And every like it's it's being covered up for some reason, and maybe that's why Hank has has redacted everything is is to protect his whereabouts because he's doing something or. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, On a show like this, anything can happen. We'll see. Um, Now, we did get a lot. Speaking of anything that can happen, um, quick clothing changes. We got (laughs) a lot of feedback on how Supergirl could change from her Supergirl suit into Kara's work clothes. Uh, At Corey Marie 21 on Twitter tweeted us that, quote, usually the super family has a pocket in their cape for super compressed civvies. And that costume can fold into the pocket thanks to her super strength. Um Interesting. I had not thought about that, but she could press them really small because she has a lot of strength. And uh, so it's like the size of a pocket square and she just busts it out. That's as good as an, an explanation as any. 
Yeah, and uh, we also had some listeners, John Cox and Red Five, also email us about the Cape Pocket. Red Five actually gave us some specifics, writing that, quote, Clark Kent civvies could be super compressed thanks to a special chemical treatment, but a side effect meant that he always had to wear red, white, or blue clothes. This color restriction seemed to be conveniently forgotten for Kara, however, except for Superman Family number 199, where it plays a minor part in the plot. For her 16th birthday in Action Comics number 270, Superman's present to Kara is a lipstick with a secret compartment to be used for quickly hiding her Supergirl outfit should Linda have to undress, unquote. So that is cool because I have never actually, with all the Superman and Supergirl comics I've read, this is never something that has come up so now i'm excited to kind of try to go back and find these issues where this is talked about <laughs> because yeah after my rant last week i'm realizing <laughs> that I'm, I'm starting to realize that maybe i don't know as much about this as i should have um but hopefully we'll get to see this on the show i would really like to see them explain this visually on the show because one of the coolest things to me about the flash season one was seeing the reverse flash use his flash ring where his costume came out and i just uh would implore the supergirl writers and um everyone involved with the show lean into the weird parts of comics because that's what people get really excited about so I would love it if the show actually showed us how she changes into these clothes and has that uh, the 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 pouch in her cape where she scrunches everything uh, really small. So uh, that would be really cool. So thank you uh, for everyone who shared that information. And uh, I don't know how I feel about the the lipstick with the secret compartment, but that could also be useful. Well, Stephanie wrote in uh, to point out something fun about Wynne. She writes, quote, I found interesting how vehemently Wynne dislikes the word toy. It seems innocuous to the casual viewers because most adults associate toys with children. But in his case, it must be an extra sensitive topic. It's true. Given who his dad is, uh, he might want to dissociate himself from anything having to do with toys, even though he seems to love them a lot. Well, I thought it was interesting this week for a guy who likes toys and and has a history in his family with toys. He was not great at playing games at game night. (laughs) And and maybe that's because Wynn and Kara don't know each other as well as James and Lucy do. But I just thought it was funny that he wasn't so great at (laughs) playing games. Yeah, well, it wasn't so much that he wasn't good at playing games as that he wasn't good at words. Um, because that's true. He had, he's trying to give clues and he's like, it's that thing, you know, that thing. And it's like, nobody would get that. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not a matter of knowing anybody. True, that's true. a matter of like, you know, being able you, to communicate and use your words. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, um, Stephen also wrote in expressing his concern, uh, quote, is this TV show going too fast? Unquote, with its reveals and storylines. And I actually think this was a cool question before we got word of the uh, full season order that they'll get more episodes because if you think about it before then they only had 13 episodes so they only had 13 episodes to put all the coolest stuff they could think of 
into that run of episodes. So um, maybe you could say it was going too fast, but I think they were just trying to do everything they could and do the, and give us the coolest episodes they could. So they're trying to cram awesome stuff into them. And so it'll be interesting now to see, now that we have this full order, if that slows down at all, if they try to s- stretch it out a little bit. They've started a couple of things with like story arcs and things that they could build on if they want to. Um, I don't think that the show is going any faster than, say, The Flash or Arrow or right. anything like that. Actually, it seems like very much it's going by that template. Like whenever I, I start watching the show and I hear her voiceover narration over the, the beginning of the show, it's exactly like, I am The Flash or, <laughs> yeah. you know, what? It's, it's exactly the same template for this hero. So it's it's kind of moving along exactly, or not exactly, but very similarly to the way those shows operate. Um, but now actually we have a an email from Nathan who writes from London, England. We're getting everywhere, you guys, um, saying, quote, my mother occasionally sits in on an episode of Supergirl and is convinced it's a children's show. Now, I'm sure that children enjoy the show as it's family friendly, but I would love it if on Supergirl radio you'd be able to give a response to my mother's criticism for me to play back to her. I have faith that you'll both be able to explain why something that seems silly can be enjoyed by children and adults alike for its messages and themes and why adults can be fans too. Um, I have a lot to say about this. Um... <laughs> Uh, first of all, I am not a fan of the idea that things that are for children, quote, for children can't be for adults. It's like who decided that there was an arbitrary age where certain things can't be fun? Like it's like we all decided as a group, hey, when you hit the age of 25, that's it. It's done. You can't have any fun anymore. And it's like who decided that? <laughs> um, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of silly. And I think it's something that too many adults do in, in trying to distance themselves from certain things. Um, I think there's a big difference between – something that's family friendly and something that's immature. Um, and I don't think that, that the show is immature at all. It tackles a lot of really big ideas in a way that, you know, if an adult is watching them, they can have conversations the way we do on this podcast. And we, we really get into the stuff about, you know, feminism, about race, about, you know, what, you know, the work world is like, what all of that, we can analyze that in an adult way. But if a child is watching that same thing, it's, it's, in an easily digestible uh, format where they can get what they want to get out of it, out of it. So I think that, that whether or not something is, quote, adult or, quote, for children depends on how you watch it. Um, for example, like I could watch an episode of My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. It's very clearly for children. It's, it's rated Y7. And, you know, I can write a dissertation about, you know, Pinkie Pie's politics. I mean, I, you know, I could, you know, do, you know, it's, it's all about the person viewing it. It's less about the material itself. Um, so I think if you watch it and like, you'll get what you want to get out of it, out of it. I would agree with that. Actually. I think with any story, it doesn't matter what story it is. It doesn't matter what genre it is. I think you get out of it what you put into it. And I think you can always learn from any kind of story. I mean, you have adults who are obsessed with Harry Potter or the the Narnia Chronicles. Or, you know, I even hear people all the time. Well, not all the time. It's not like every day. But <laughs> I do hear people talk a lot about how Toy Story 3 affected them so deeply in such a moving way. And that's a s- story about toys coming to life. And I think that 
you can be affected by any kind of story. And I think, Nathan, you actually hit the nail on the head. There are messages and themes in a story that can affect anybody, no matter what their age is. And so I think I would encourage people who um, see it as childish, you know, see Supergirl as a as a kid show to kind of just look into the themes of what's going on in these characters, because I think we can all find something we can identify with with any of the characters. I mean, I, I, I am in my mid thirties and I identify with a lot of things that Kara is going through or things that Kat is going through or even things that, you know, James is going through. Like I can see something, I can see myself in um, virtually any character on the show. So I think that it's definitely something where if you look into the messages and the themes, you can take away something from the show. And I think there's something worth examining, too, is that if you find yourself kind of looking at Supergirl and seeing, you know, the bright colors, seeing the feminist messages that are very obvious, seeing all of that um, and associating it with children and therefore not wanting to watch it, that might be worth examining. Like, why do you feel that way? What is it about bright colors or, or, or the way like what is it about the delivery that is off-putting? Because sometimes that in and of itself is worth exploring and and makes a show worthwhile. It's like, why do I feel this way? Let me think about it. Let me talk about it with other people. And that can spur on conversations too. So yeah, give it a chance. And uh, who knows, you might be pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and bottom line, I think Supergirl is a story not even just on the TV show, but in the comics, but especially in the TV show, she is a character who's just trying to find purpose. She's trying to figure out where she belongs. She's trying to figure out what her life should be and who she should be. And I think we can all identify with that. Definitely. Well, if you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. And we're also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you have time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. And we are a part of the DC TV podcast circle. So if you also like Gotham, Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and even DC movies, we've got a podcast for that. So subscribe to our DC TV podcast mega feed and follow at DC TV podcasts on Twitter and like DC TV podcasts on Facebook. And as for me, uh, you can find me every day at the Mary Sue. That's the Mary Sue.com. Uh, I do Supergirl recaps there and I do a video series called the house of L, which you might enjoy if you're into Supergirl. Um, for my other work, you can check out my website. It's Teresa And that'll link you to all of my social media presences as well. Um, I'm at Teresa Giacino on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, and I'm on Facebook as well. And you can follow me on Twitter at Derby Kid and watch videos I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duckmilkprod. And if you'd like to stick around for a quick spoiler section about next week's episode of Supergirl, we'll be doing that after our theme music. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Teresa Giacino. Don't worry about calling a car for Cat's mom. She can take her broom.
Enjoy your time off. Oh, my God. Supergirl has not been located yet. You can get shot. I can't do nothing. You don't want to hurt these people. Supergirl, next Monday, or stream it live or on demand. And we are back. And what you just heard was the audio for what's coming up on Supergirl. The next episode is called Human for a Day. The official description for Human for a Day says, quote, Kara and her friends must rely on their inner strength and courage when an earthquake strikes National City. Also, Alex's mistrust of Hank reaches a breaking point when the earthquake traps them in the DEO with Jem, played by Charles Halford, a powerful alien escapee, unquote. So, Teresa, what in this episode description has you excited for next week? Um, I, I mean, just first of all, the title, Human for a Day, I'm like, what does that mean? And does it have to do with Kara bleeding? And if it's only for a day, why is that? Mm -hmm. Um, But also the fact that Kara and her friends have to rely on strength and courage dealing with an earthquake. Um, Because I feel like the heroism that we're going to see isn't just like superpowered heroism. I feel like there's going to be some more character-based stuff, which I love, um, and kind of dealing with what the different ways that heroism can look. Uh, You know, James can be a hero. Wynn can be a hero, depending on what they do. And so... I'll be curious to see how they work together. Definitely. And I am really excited about what happens with Alex and Hank. Because (laughs) (laughs) I hope we get maybe a few more answers next week about what's going on with him. Because if Alex gets to a point where she wants to straight up ask him, like, what happened with my dad? (laughs) Um, That's some good conversation. I tell you what. (laughs) I really want to see what happens with that because Alex might be um, interrogating him a little bit. And also to see what happens with Jim um, because he is a very unique character. And that would be cool to see another character from DC Comics get introduced into live action. This will be the first time for this character. So that has me very excited. Well, uh, I mean, every episode of the show has been getting better and better, so uh, I can only have good thoughts about what's going to come. But thank you all so much for listening, and we'll be back with another episode discussion next time on Supergirl Radio.